From the island in the desert, it's life punctuated at Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme recorded live on stage and without notes. I'm the slammer that just missed sharing my story, Matt Melton. On this podcast, dot dot dot, it's the slam from our show inspired by the punctuation mark, the period, held on December 26, 2017 at Jump in downtown Boise, Idaho. During the slam, we randomly drew names and the brave few came on stage for a five-minute story, period. Except me. I was the last name, I just got to come up and read this intro. But, hey, it's story time. And the story you're not going to hear was about the time when I was 12 years old and I was jealous of my older sister's calendar that was tracking her monthly cycle. I... It was, she marked everyone with a high and a big period, and I just thought it was a day just to say hi to everybody, and I embarrassed her in front of her 15-year-old boyfriend. Please welcome to the stage, Terry Dillian. Thank you. Uh, sore throat the last few days, perfect timing for tonight, right? So, divorce is the end of a marriage, <laughs> period. It's divorce changes your children's lives forever, period. And that first holiday after a divorce, it's gonna be weird and maybe even rough, period. So during mediation with my soon-to-be ex-husband, who was of course still gonna be the forever father of my two daughters, um, he decided that for Christmas, he should have the girls Christmas morning because he had the family in town and he wanted the girls to be with their grandparents for Christmas morning. And he said to me, and you can do Christmas Eve, which is your tradition, which hadn't been my tradition since I was a girl. My real tradition had been with our family together on Christmas morning. But of course, that was part of what was gonna change. So okay, Christmas Eve it was. So on the 23rd, and as we were getting ready for this new tradition of Christmas Eve celebration, my daughters had some concerns, especially Kathleen, eight years old, still a believer. And she was going through a really literal period as well, so she was asking lots of questions like, how is Santa gonna find us? I mean, we've got two houses now, and one is an apartment. And I'm like, oh, he'll find us, no problem. He's really good at finding all the kids, right? And then she's like, well, how is he gonna get in? I mean, we don't have a fireplace in the apartment. Like I said, going through a very literal period. In fact, to the point where she's trying to figure out all the holiday stuff, and she's saying things like, Boy, that Jesus sure was a good baby. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I think he probably fussed like all babies. Uh-uh, no crying he makes. <laughs> or when she saw at a, Christmas, at a Christian uh, bookstore downtown in the window display, there was a, a crash, the baby Jesus and Santa praying over it. So at a party later, during a lull in the adult conversation, Kathleen just pipes up with, um, you know, Santa is Jesus's father. <laughs> All eyes turn to the mom, who's obviously not providing any religious education. So anyway, so how is Santa gonna find us? I mean, how is he gonna get in? And I said, oh, he's magic. 
He can, he can get in anywhere. Through the walls like a ghost? No, 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 not like that. <laughs> He's just magical. Right, April? The 14-year-old sister who definitely had a stake in this along with me, right? So I said, let's build a fireplace just for Santa. So out of construction paper and that uh, corrugated brick stuff that they use in grocery store end caps, you know, we built a fireplace on the wall with a 3D mantle where we put little like cutouts of statues and photographs. So we had our fireplace, but there were still a lot of concerns. So the night of the 23rd, after reading a few holiday-themed bedtime stories, I go to my room to um, wrap some presents and, and honestly to kind of think about what a drag it was going to be to have this, uh, you know, getting the stuff under the tree on the evening of the 24th and then playing and packing and getting to their dads on Christmas morning and, and it kind of sounded like it was really going to suck. So I'm sitting there thinking, what keeps tomorrow morning, the 24th, from being Christmas morning? Nothing. We're all together. So I finished wrapping all the presents, and I organized them underneath the tree, and I wrote the letter from Santa, which was really a tradition in the family. You know, the big paper with the burnt edges and the, the curly, cuey way that Santa writes with little holly flourishes. And every year he would leave a letter telling the girls how proud of them he was and how, how much they really cared for each other most of the time and how their parents thought they were so loving and how he was very happy to be able to leave a special gift for them. So Santa wrote the letter, put it underneath the tree, I turned on the lights and went to bed. The next morning I wake up, no one else is awake because, of course, it's Christmas Eve morning. It's not Christmas morning. So I lay in bed reading, waiting, waiting. And pretty soon I hear Kathleen's little feet come down the hallway, and she goes into the living room. Oh, oh, and she runs back into her bedroom. April, April, Santa's come. I don't think so. No, he has, he has. So she runs back in, comes back down the hallway. April, April, he says in the letter that it's been a really hard year and he wanted to be sure we had a whole day together with mom because we all love each other so much. And he came to our house first as he started his trip around the world giving gifts. And April says, okay, well, you better wake up mom. So Kathleen goes down the hallway through the living room to my bedroom. Mom, Mom, Santa's come. I don't think so. No, he has, he has. He said it's been a really hard year, and we really love each other, and he wants to have the whole day with you, and he came to our house first on his trip all the way around the world. <laughs> okay, then. We better get up. So we opened up all of our presents, and we played with everything, and tried all of our new stuff on, and made breakfast, and then played with presents some more, and went to some movies, and came home, and replayed with all the presents, and uh, laid around on the sofa like a big pile of cats, and watched holiday movies, and packed up, and the next morning, took off for their dads. In fact, as I'm driving back, and the streets are practically empty, I had to remind myself, why, why is anybody out? Oh, right, it's Christmas for everyone else. <laughs> so that became our new family tradition, semicolon, because now that my daughters are back in Boise with their own children, they've brought us all together to celebrate around the kids. And that's moms and dads and stepmoms and stepdads and grammies and grannies and grandpas and paws and nannies and grandmas 
because you know, son-in-laws also have divorced parents, and even great Nana and Papas. So that is actually the best Christmas tradition, period. Steve R. Welcome. All right, so I'm going to use period as a point of rest, and I'm going to tell a story about South America. We went down to South America this Thanksgiving, um, and one of the places we went to was Machu Picchu. We stayed over in Aguas Calientes, and for the, all of us gringos, that's hot water, a little like tourist town right near um, Machu Picchu. <clears throat> and the night before, we ate some Creole food. Uh, it was some of the cheapest food we could find, and I have a suspicion that the sauce was a little shady. We get up the next morning at 3 in the morning and start our way to the first checkpoint, which opens at 5 a.m. Uh, we get in line somewhere in the ballpark of 4.30, and I'm like, hmm, my stomach's woken up. I think I need to go to the bathroom. And there's none there, of course. Um, at 5 a.m., they start letting this line through, so we, we get through. And we chose the hiking route instead of the bus route to get to Machu Picchu. It's a little bit of a, of a hike. Um, the Incans, despite being uh, kind of shorter people, made really tall steps, um, which normally I enjoy. And for the first section of this, I did enjoy. So the bus goes up kind of like that, and the trail goes up like this. So we're going up the trail. Every now and again, I get this sensation of like churning in my stomach, and I'm like, huh, the sooner we get to a bathroom, the better. So we're hiking up this trail, and we're trudging along like all the rest of the, you know, tourists that are used to a lot lower elevations and uh, a lot shorter stairs normally. And we make our way up, we trudge all the way up to the top, and I beeline for the bathroom, which has a line that you pay for to get into. So we're waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I finally get there, and this is my first point of rest. And the only way I can describe this is more or less a waterfall. <laughs> and I finally get done. I get out. We go find our tour guide. We do our first entry to Machu Picchu, because your, your ticket gives you two entries. I get through the entire tour. I'm doing pretty okay. Um, we get back out. And I have my second point of rest, again, in the pay bathroom. Um, exact same experience as before. And then I come back out. We, uh, we try to do the easier version of the, the, basically the second two options that don't involve a tour, uh, tour guide, which is the uh, Inca Bridge. We're going down this, uh, this path that's along a sheer drop-off on your right. And in spots, there's llamas on the path, so you're kind of passing them slowly because you don't want to spook them and have them knock you to your death or anything like that. <laughs> um, we get past the first set of llamas, and we get to the second one, and I'm like, I got to go back. So we didn't make it to the bridge because of my ailment. Um, I go back, have my third point of rest, and, and now we're kind of at the what do we do next Phase. I'm trying to hold it together for my girlfriend so she still has a fun time at Machu Picchu. I'm pretty over it by this point. Um, so we're, we're sitting on these, uh, these steps by the bus where the bus is going down. And I was like, ah, I think maybe we should take the bus down. And it's $25 a person. 
And I'm not, um, I guess, foreign to adverse conditions. I've fought some wildland fire. I've done a bunch of mountain biking and rock climbing. Um, so for me to say, hey, let's take the bus downhill, it, it's a cry for help. Uh, she didn't quite hear it that way, though. And was like, well, what do you think about walking down the bus trail? And I was like, well, these people here drive like maniacs. A tour bus is passing us within 16 inches honking at us. I'm gonna jump out in front of one with the way my mood's going. So we hiked back down instead. And um, that was, yeah, it was okay in a miserable kind of way. Um, and we get back down to the checkpoint and instead of going to town, we instead go to a museum, which I immediately go in there and ask them where their bathroom is, have my fourth point of rest. Um, I come back out. She's like, hey, do you want to go look at the museum? I'm like, no, I want to lay on this park bench and die. <laughs> so I'm laying on the bench. She goes inside and decides she doesn't want to pay to go to the museum. So then we come back out and we go and look at the uh, botanical gardens. Which she looks at the botanical gardens. I trudge around looking at my shoes, hoping that I can make it through the rest of the day because I know what the rest of the day is. We're not going back to the tourist town to hang out in the best hostel we hung out in so far. We're going back to the tourist town. Well, I'll, I'll tell you in a second. We're, so we march back and we're, we're now climbing back uphill to get to the tourist town. And I feel pretty much like I'm not gonna make it. Um, I want Pepto because it's all I can think of. Um, we go and uh, she goes to buy some water. I'm standing in the street looking around. I end up just sitting on these stairs in someone's doorstep and feeling kind of like, I don't know, a desperate homeless person at this point. <laughs> she comes back out with water. Not that it's doing any good. It's flushing out of me as soon as it goes in. Um, and so that was another point of rest when I rested there. Now <laughs> we go over and we're sitting on park benches waiting for the train to come because we aren't going back to our hostel in that town, we're waiting for a train. So I, we get on the train finally, this is another point of rest for me, where we're going down this train and you know, it's, it's not bad as far as trains go. I put my head down and uh, pretty much nod on, on and off and my motion is about like this. <laughs> as the train bounces back and forth on the rails and it's going down its thing. And then we finally get off the train, and I have a, another point of rest in the bathroom again. Um, and at this point, I'm shaking. I can't hardly walk. I'm pretty miserable. And we now are getting in a cab for another hour drive. Um, from 3 in the morning until 10 at night, I have eaten what they, half of what they call a sandwich, which is a little piece of bread about this big with a slice of cheese on it. I've had half that and all of my water has gone out of me as quickly as it's gone in at altitude while hiking and moving around. So we get there, we get out, and I still don't get my final rest. We gotta go down to the tourist place to tell them I'm not coming the next day. And then we hike down to the, um, the uh, <laughs> grocery store where at one point I'm sitting on the floor resting while she's finding her stuff for the next day until I can finally hike up the stairs to get to our hostel to try and die. So that was my points of rest in Peru. Chris Harrington. For the Christmas season, I thought I'd tell you a story that involves Santa's summer vacation. 
As you know, Santa wouldn't be spending his winters up there at the North Pole or the summers up there in the North Pole, and if that melts out, his sleigh had better be a rowboat. But I was hiking down into Delaware Water Gap many years ago, and I was kind of bummed because I've been hiking for three months and about to the end, my boss had had some computer troubles and needed me to come back early to help him with a report. And I was really sore for some reason. One of my toes was hurting very badly. I wasn't sure why. But I knew there was a really nice hostel in Delaware Water Gap and let hikers stay in, a, in the basement of this church. So I went up there with these three guys I was hiking with called the Three Amigos. And we went into the basement of this church. It was a dank basement, but it had about four or five bunk beds in it with a bunch of people who hadn't had showers in a, about a month. So it had a certain odor to it. And we met there this guy whose name was Santa. And that wasn't a trail name. That was his actual name. And he didn't have the beard, but a lot of people shave during the summer. And we spent a day wandering around town, eating a lot, but my foot was really hurting me and I only had a week left and I said, well, I looked at my toe and it was infected and I said, I guess I better end the hike here instead of going on for another week. I'd have an easier time getting out of Delaware Water Gap anyways. So I said goodbye to the three amigos the next morning and they sorrowfully headed off down the trail and Santa and I wandered around town a little more and ate a lot more. And he said, you know, I'd really like to keep on hiking. So what, but I don't want to go alone, so what would it take to get you to go with me? I said, well, if you bring me a handful of salt, I'll go hiking tomorrow. So we went off and he came back with a salt shaker and we opened it up and there was a handful of salt. And what I did is I made a little poultice out of salt. I had no idea whether or not this would work. But the idea was that the pain from the infection was just caused by an inflammation, so if I could reduce that, then I'd be fine. So I wrapped my toe in salt and went to bed. And I got up in the morning before anyone else got up, my foot really still hurt. But I took off that poultice outside and it hadn't, it had done something odd. It had, the skin above the infection had died, so you could see right where it was. And so I got a needle out and lanced it and shot bloody pus for about a foot across the pavement. <laughs> but after that, I was able to clean it out, and it felt great. And so Santa and I had some breakfast and headed off down the trail, and I was able to go on for another week because Santa brought me some uh, salt. So I guess he brings gifts even during the summer. <laughs> so there's my story. Alicia Dodson. So because it was Christmas yesterday, I will tell a story about a period of my life when we didn't celebrate Christmas, we got to be Jehovah's Witnesses instead. <laughs> <laughs> So the way this would work was my parents had joint custody and we'd alternate with my mom and my dad. And we would go to my dad's house and sometime between the time that we came last time and this next time, he would get married and we'd have a new stepmom. 
And it was just sudden, you know, oh, here you go, here you meet your new stepmom. And by the way, you're coming for Christmas, it's the last one, because she's Jehovah's Witness, which means we're Jehovah's Witness, which means you and your brother and her are Jehovah's Witness, not me. So no more Christmas, no more holidays, no more birthdays, no more presents, no more fun at all. And so all this happened at a time when you're eight or nine or so, and it was the 90s. And so the whole experience just exacerbated every awkward prepubescent moment you could possibly have because it was, it was the 90s and everything was ugly. <laughs> the hairstyles and the clothing, and you'd wear puffy floral church dresses to go to church. And you already felt awkward, you felt out of place, and we were, because since my stepmom married out of the church, we weren't really accepted. So you'd sit in the back, and you couldn't talk, and you couldn't participate, and yet somehow we're supposed to believe in all this stuff because they're so welcoming with their open arms, wanting you to join them. And we'd go to the meetings, and the meetings in the summer were six or eight hours long, and there's nothing to do. So we'd count how many times they said Satan or Jehovah or Jesus on a notepad, and then you'd get in trouble. But at least we're paying attention, kinda. Like, what else are you gonna do? And so that actually lasted for a number of years. The stepmom stuck around longer than the last ones. And the thing about it was that my mom was completely opposite. So it made it even worse because then you'd leave and you'd go back to your mom who was the full-time parent and none of this applied. You'd get your birthdays and you'd have 4th of July and you'd do everything with family and, and friends. And so it was almost like you would dread this period because in the summer you'd have to go to church. And I mean, I don't know any kids that would rather mow the lawn or do chores. That's what we wanted to do, because that's what my dad got to do. He's got to stay home and do chores. We got to go to church. And so as soon as it was time that we could choose to be, you know, which parent you wanted to live with full time, because now you had a job, tell you what, I ended that period as quickly and suddenly as it came on. You never looked back. It's like, see you later, church. <laughs> and the kind of funny thing about it, like looking back, because you know, Christmas was yesterday, and thinking back on this period was that, so now I'm dating somebody that is a non-practicing Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> and so they grew up with no holidays at all. But now even as an adult, they don't celebrate holidays. And I feel like I'm kind of like sneaking some in now. I'm like, come on, try this Christmas thing out. It's kind of fun. You don't have to buy anything, just show up. And that's, I guess, the story. <laughs> Cameron G. It's a little rough to follow your story because I have like an angsty teenage story and it's just, it's not the same now from when I was preparing it. Earlier, it just feels. But I, uh, I was recently cleaning my office and uh, my, my wife loves when I clean because as I clean, I find something that's entertaining. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen this in years. And 
for the next four hours, that's what I'm doing is playing with this new thing. But I actually stumbled across a shoebox full of old tapes. And for, well, probably most of you, you guys know what tapes are, so it's fine. <laughs> but they were all mixed tapes, you know, tapes I had made or had, that had been given to me, but really none of them were labeled because, you know, when you're a teenager, why label? And so I, I found a tape player and I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm playing them and it's, it's fascinating because each tape was a period in time in my life and they, they all meant different things. Uh, you know, the first tape I was listening to, I remembered, you know, oh, I, I made this for a girlfriend when I was a teenager and listening to some of the songs and I'm like, oh, those are, those are dumb. Like, what, what was I thinking? Like, <laughs> But you know, I mean, it was the 80s or the 90s and, and they were popular at that point in time. And, and then you get to another tape and it's so different from that first tape. It was very poppy and very, you know, jump, jump. And it's like, oh, I remember that too. And wearing my clothes backwards. And that was the thing. <laughs> and, and, you know, you have these moments where you're just flashing back to that, that teenage you and you're just like, oh God, if I could go back in time, I would have slapped the crap out of you. <laughs> Then you get to the next tape and you're like, oh, that was actually a really dark period. There's a lot of cure and, and you know, very, very dark kind of moments. And, and you think to yourself, you know, I made it through that. So that, that, was, that was, you know, a dark period, but you know, you got through it. And then you get to another tape and it's, it's Kenny G. And you're like, oh, I remember why I made this tape. And then you, you know, it, it's just, it was, it was so wonderful to just like have those moments. And so I, I posted on Facebook, like we all tend to do, and had several people respond. And they're like, oh, I remember you making tapes. And it's, it's funny now because that's, that's such a, a dead skill because no, nobody makes tapes. No, nobody burns CDs. Um, so I actually spent the weekend uh, like going on Spotify. And they're just, they're all there. Every, every song that I could possibly want is on Spotify, and it takes like 30 seconds to build out a list of songs. But it's great because it's just really easy to then like share those out too. And before, there was much more of a process of making tapes, and it was much more of a labor of love. Now it's just, you know, 30 seconds, technology kind of gets it through. But it, it, it was very fun to walk from that very early teenager to where, you know, like the last tape was much more early 2000s. But music has changed, but I think it's always going to be just a part of what we do in our lives. And I, I highly recommend if you have a box of tapes, go dig them out. It, it is a great walk down memory lane. Thank you for listening. Story Story Night is brought to you by our story party, Amy Moran, Karis Kimball, Hannah Mae Schaefer, Karen Moore, Bob Haycock, Marnie Ellis, and me, Jody Eichelberger. We receive support from the Boise Arts and History Department. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise, our season sponsor, Pettit Group Real Estate, and the period show sponsor, the Idaho Conservation League. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari. Our theme song was composed by Dan Costello, and our musical guest was Phyllis Tincher. Support this storied program, get tickets to our live show, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Story Story Night.